So we are uh, jumping back into a series that we're doing this summer through the book of Galatians. And just as a, a quick refresher, um, the Apostle Paul had uh, gone on a trip with Barnabas and some other apostles and, and disciples and planted probably about seven or eight different churches and then he had returned uh, back to the city of Antioch where he was living at the time. And about two years after he had started these churches in Galatia, he got word that uh, things were changing there. That people were uh, adding to the gospel things that weren't part, that were not part of the original gospel that Paul had preached when he started these churches. And so Paul is writing back to these churches in Galatia to try and say, hey, let's get this straight. There's one gospel. It doesn't need any help from any of us. It's the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so as uh, Paul writes this letter, we've been seeing his emphasis on this one gospel, this one truth that transforms human souls. And so today we will continue our study through Galatians beginning in verse 15 of chapter 2 and continuing through verse 14 of chapter 3. So you may follow along with me in, in one of the Bibles in the seats in front of you or in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Galatians two, fifteen, and following. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw 
that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So let's go back to the year 1507. All right, and the new world is recently discovered. Um, the printing press is recently in use, and the world is changing rapidly. And in 1507, a young priest graduates from seminary in Germany and is ordained to the ministry in the Catholic Church. And he has one burning question in his mind. How do I get right with God? How do I figure this thing out? And this young priest was literally plagued with this question. He could not, for the life of him, figure it out. And he was was so internally distraught over the thought that he was not quite right with God, that one of his mentors decided, you know what? He needs a heavier workload to get his mind off of these ridiculous obsessions that he keeps rolling over and over inside his head. And so uh, Martin Luther was sent to be the uh, professor at a Uh, seminary in Wittenberg, Germany. And while he was there, he he also became one of the priests at the local church in Wittenberg. And uh, over the course of his years, um, he basically tried to resolve this problem by reading more and more and more of his Bible. And he would get out uh, the Hebrew Bible and he would study it in Hebrew, and he would get out the Greek Bible, and he would study it in Greek, and he would get out the Latin Bible and study it in Latin. He studied, and he studied, and he studied, and he studied. And he could not get this one grueling question to leave him alone. How do I finally get right with God? And Luther was actually a little bit terrorized by this question 
he was quite sure that he would screw something up and spend the rest of eternity in hell. So he had this, this fear with which he lived spiritually. And somewhere around 1517, about 10 years after he graduated from seminary and was ordained, he was sitting reading the book of Romans. And he dropped what he was doing. He, he would, something, some truth hit him at the core of who he was, and he couldn't move. And Luther would later report that it was this simple truth that gripped him that day. We are saved by nothing but the grace of God. And so all that Luther had, had learned in his upbringing and in his training for ministry was thrown on its head because he had been taken by the belief that, yes, Jesus died to forgive us of our sins, but then we had to do all these things to stay in good standing with God. We had to make sure that we were okay in God's eyes. And Luther, as he read through the book of Romans that day, dropped what he was doing and fell to his knees. He was floored by the simple truth that it's the work of Christ plus nothing. There's nothing else that we add to our salvation, to our sanctification, nor to our glorification as Christians. It is all done through the work of Jesus Christ. And so Luther was in his town, and a man came through, and forgive me, I, I, I forget the guy's name, he's, he's infamous, but at the time, the uh, Roman Catholic Church was trying to raise funds to build St. Peter's Basilica. So today, when you see footage of the Pope giving a mass at the Vatican, uh, he's, he's standing on one of the balconies at St. Peter's Basilica, and uh, at the time, this was being built in the early 1500s. And they were running out of money, and so they, would send, they sent this one guy all throughout Europe, and he had a little jingle, and it went like this. When coin in coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. You get it? He was selling forgiveness. They were called indulgences, and it was rather convenient. If I had 20 bucks... I could buy an indulgence for myself. That'd be a little selfish, uh, but I could. Um, or if I had a deceased grandmother whom I loved dearly and I wanted to shorten the amount of time she spent in purgatory, um, then I could pay that 20 bucks on her behalf. I would get a little piece of paper that said, you know, this is worth $20 of absolution on behalf of your grandmother. Okay? Um, yeah, you get it. Little iffy, okay? And Luther had just read this passage in Romans. And this guy comes through town. And Luther says, wait a minute. This is completely 
incompatible with the grace of God. And so he writes out 95 questions. Is it acceptable to preach the grace of Christ and then raise money by this, through the sale of indulgences? And he asked the question about 95 different ways. And in those days, instead of posting it to your Facebook page, you would take whatever you wanted discussion to happen about and you would nail it to the door of the church because everybody would pass by that door at least once a week. And so Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And if I can put it this way, uh, all hell breaks loose. He gets called into a trial uh, to, to condemn him of heresy. Um, uh, uh, long story short, a civil war breaks out as, as this local German principality refuses to allow uh, the Roman emperor to send guards in to arrest Martin Luther. And uh, the, the whole world begins to change. The change began in the heart of a single man as he sat alone reading his Bible and contemplating what it said about grace. The change that Luther inaugurated that day, or that we should say God inaugurated through Luther that day, is still going on. It's, it's ongoing. Um, but let me, let me try to be abundantly clear about one thing. I don't say any of the history I just gave you to beat up on the Catholics. Um, it's, it's not the Catholics who uh, misconstrue the Word of God. It's the human heart that misconstrues the Word of God. My heart, your heart, their hearts all hearts. Because this idea of grace is so completely foreign to our existence that we really, A, don't believe it, at least not at first, and we never quite fully assimilate the truth that Jesus needs nothing from us. Nothing. Um, Okay, we'll try to unpack this a little bit. This is the same problem that the churches in Galatia had, where Paul had gone through and preached salvation through Jesus Christ, and he left, went on his way, went home, and he gets word back. There are people here in your wake teaching that we, yes, we're saved by the blood of Christ, but once we're saved... We have to do all these things to obey the law, to stay in good standing with God. And the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 and no. And Luther, almost 1,500 years later, says, no, 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 and no. There is nothing short of the grace of God that can yield in our hearts what we need for salvation. And so this problem persists 
not because of Catholics or anyone else, but because of the way the human heart is geared. Uh, One uh, famous preacher once said, the human heart is an idol-making factory. We crank them out. We just crank them out. And the thing about idols is they put us in control of who God is and how he works and what he needs and what he requires. When Jesus says, it's free. It is by grace you have been saved, not by works. Um, Okay, let me try to uh, elaborate and go back to this passage and sort of draw out of it what we need for ourselves. Um, Let's begin with this call to depend upon grace alone. This is one of Luther's contributions to Christian theology. he gave what we call the five solas, that's the Latin word the Latin word for only or alone, and one of them, the first one, was, is by grace alone. And let's begin there, as Paul in this uh, portion of uh, Galatians chapter 2, particularly in verse 23, says, I do not set aside the grace of God. We are called to depend upon grace alone. That is to trust in the death of Christ, to trust in his death, to satisfy God's justice, and to overcome our sinfulness. So here's the the problem uh, put logically. Uh, None of us are perfect in the book of Romans, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. The Old Testament teaches us, and it's it's, uh, summarized in the New Testament this way, without the shedding of blood, of life blood, or without death, there is no remission of sin. There's no taking away of sin without death. That sounds a little gloomy, I know, all right? But here's the point, that God, the God of the universe, is righteous, holy, and just. That means justice matters. And he can't just say, oh, don't worry about it. Your sin is no big deal. No sweat. Don't worry about it. We'll just forget it. Because justice is something, at least in an infinite sense, that must be satisfied. And so, we have this God who is holy, righteous, and just. And so transgression is serious. And Paul is telling or reminding the church in Galatia that to be justified, to be made just in the eyes of God, we must be, our sin must be dealt with or atoned for. And so Depending upon grace alone means, first of all, trusting in his death. That the death of a sinless, holy, righteous Son of God will satisfy the justice of God. And when that death is applied on our behalf, we receive forgiveness. 
for our sins. We trust in his death, and we trust also in his life, his resurrection. Paul reminds us that we are to thrive in his love. Verse 20 of chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We see in these words the truth that faith, hope, and love abide. These three things will persist. And we are called to thrive in the love of Christ, to trust in his life and resurrection, to abide in his grace. Do you see what Paul was saying? He said, you you started in grace. I was there. I saw it. You saw it with your own eyes. You heard the message with your own ears. We were good. We all had mutual agreement. And then I left And these other people come in and they start teaching you that, yeah, 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 the grace is good. But you also have to follow the law of God. It's important. Paul's point is Christ satisfied the law of God. He did fulfill all of the righteous requirements of the law. And so when he laid down his life on our behalf, we are free. Now, he sort of goes into this. Does that mean that I should sin more to show how much greater the grace of God is? No. That's ridiculous. All it means is that in the famous last words of Jesus, literally as he hung on the cross, among his last words were these words, it is finished. The work of salvation is finished on the cross. When we trust in that, not just for salvation, but for our growth, for our being, for our life and breath and existence and eternity, we're abiding in grace. We are depending upon grace alone. And so we must depend on grace alone, Paul reminds us, and we must also depend on faith alone. Luther gave five solas, as I mentioned earlier. The first was sola gratia, and the next is sola fide. Only by faith are we saved. And this point draws a little more controversy among Christians today, um, but uh, nonetheless important. Um, What is the essence of depending upon faith alone? It's a call to stop relying on our own effort. Um, If I tell you to stop relying on your own effort, how long do you think you will be able to obey that law? (laughs) We are so hardwired to take care of ourselves, to fend for ourselves, to support ourselves to whatever that's how we are wired as human beings this is why paul's only gone from galatia for two years and they're back on the human effort track 
This is why, after 1,500 years of church history, the whole idea of salvation by grace alone had been lost. This is why you and I need these scriptures every single day to remind us it's not about our effort. It's about the grace of God which we experience through faith. We must stop relying on our own efforts. It's not about what we can do. It's about what Christ has done. We must then learn to live by faith which comes from God. It is a gift, Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us. Um, This is where faith gets a little controversial. Okay, so I could say uh, we must live by faith, and another Christian might say, yes, that's right. We must live by faith, and, and you've got you've to have the faith. You've got to exercise your faith. You've got to. What's the problem with that refrain? The you've got to clause. Right? It's a work. It makes faith into a work. And So Paul is saying, and Luther was saying, and we need to be saying, that faith is a gift from God. So if I I have faith in Christ, it means that I only have that because it's been given to me by God. It's not something that I sat down and figured out on my own through my own efforts. It's something that has been imparted to me, perhaps against my will, but nonetheless imparted to me by God. And so, when this faith shows up, everything changes. Um, Okay, I'm going to try to keep moving here, but uh, learning to live by faith means acknowledging that faith comes from God. It comes from God, and it leads to eternal blessing. Um, Paul reminds us of this in verse... Let me make sure I got that reference right. I believe it's verse 9 of chapter 3. He takes up this question of Abraham. And he says, The Scriptures foresaw, verse 8, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. I guess the question is, those who have faith, where does the faith come from? And my response to that, Luther's response to that, Paul's response to that, I believe, is the faith comes from God. Ephesians chapter 2 is the best clear articulation of that you'll see in scripture Um, the faith is a gift from God when it arrives in our hearts everything changes everything and if you want to know how powerful the grace of God is through faith um, any of you married to a Lutheran and where's Christy she's in the nursery okay Okay, so if you're married to someone who grew up Lutheran, we'll pray for Nancy. Yeah? All right. You know how many Christians it takes to change a light bulb? Anybody know? No one? 
Okay, so when a light bulb goes out in here, uh, we're Presbyterians, and we just go, eh, it was foreordained that that light would go out, and it's predestined to come back on at the appropriate time, right? We don't worry about it. Right, if you're Catholic, you don't worry about it. You just light a few more candles, you're good to go. Plenty of light, no sweat. Um, We'll leave the Baptists and the Methodists out for now because I'm trying to, you know, get to a point. So the Lutherans, you know how many Lutherans it takes to change a light bulb? Lutherans, they just look at you and go, change? No, no, we we don't do that here. We're Lutherans, all right? So when the grace of God through the gift of faith was imparted to the heart of Martin Luther and he gained that clarity of the gospel, he changed. The, The gospel is powerful enough to change even a Lutheran. That's my point. Right? Even Luther himself, who was known to be a rather stubborn individual. Um, this is a powerful, powerful force, this faith that God infuses into our hearts. And it leads to eternal blessing. We are depend- to depend upon grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. These are the first three solas of Martin Luther's legacy. To depend upon Christ alone means we are to step out from under the curse. Fascinating that Paul describes following rules as a curse. Why would he say that? Why would he say that following the rules of the law of God is a curse? Because it binds you And it condemns you when you fail. And it binds you some more and condemns you again. No one understood this curse and the weight of living under it better than Martin Luther. He he grew up at the the height of this Catholic reality that we sometimes joke about today, right? Where his spiritual life was controlled by guilt and fear and ignorance of the gospel. And that'll sort of, I'll I'll come back to that in a minute, but uh, Luther understood that living under the burden of the law was a curse. It's one that for some reason, we as human beings are happy to trade for. Because it gives us some sense of control. Which would you rather have? A God who says, uh, if you can fulfill these three easy steps, A, B, and C, you can have eternal life and peace with me. Or, all bets are off. I'm God. You're not. and, And you will follow me by my spirit, not by the letter of any law. Well, in one sense... One is far more predictable, is it not? And I think we tend to choose that more predictable fate over the unknown. You know, God as an engineer rather than God as an artist. All right? Now, those of you who are married to artists are all going, oh, yeah, I get it. All right? Um, So here we are in this call to depend upon Christ alone to step out from under the curse of the law, which means to stop relying on our own goodness. Now, as your pastor, am I trying to cultivate your evilness? 
Not my goal. Trust me. There's plenty of, plenty of that to go around in the world. Um, the question is not whether you're going to do good things or do b- bad things. The question is, upon whom are you depending in your standing before God? On your own actions and judgments and decisions or on the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross? We're to stop relying on our own goodness. It's a trap that burdens us. And we're to give that burden to Christ who endured the curse of obedience, if you will, and proved it by the way he died in fulfilling the other uh, passage that Paul alludes to from the Old Testament. Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. And so Christ lived under the curse of the law, if you will, but fulfilled it righteously and then offered that as a sacrifice for us. We've talked about that a little already. To depend upon Christ alone means stepping out from under the curse and stepping into the blessing that He offers us through His Son. Or that God offers us through His Son to enjoy our redemption in Christ and to receive the promise of the Spirit. You know, Luther was called to a, uh, a hearing to condemn him of heresy. Uh, it's got a great name if you're, if you're into that kind of stuff, but uh, it was a, a council in the German city of Worms, spelled Worms. It's a good one. Got to like it. And uh, Luther got there, and this uh, inquisitor basically threw on the table in front of Luther all of the things he had written about the grace of God. And he said, do you care to recant any of these errant teachings that you have given? And Luther actually, to be technically correct, he said, can I think about it? The guy said, okay. They adjourned for the day. Luther went off by himself and prayed fervently, came back the next day, and he said, I, I, you know, I, I can apologize for being a jerk about what I believe, and he did. He said, I'm, I'm kind of a jerk, and I apologize for that, um, but I cannot apologize for or take back or recant any of the things that I've taught unless you can show me in Scripture where I'm wrong. And of course, there was no effort made to offer rebuttal to any of Luther's teachings from Scripture, to offer rebuttal from Scripture to any of Luther's teachings. And Luther was summarily condemned as a heretic, and uh, this prince of the region of Germany where he lived had to kidnap him uh, so that he wouldn't be abducted by the authorities and executed as a heretic. Um, But... uh, Shortly thereafter, Luther um, was writing back and forth with a dear friend of his, and uh, I want to read you this quote from a a letter that uh, 
Martin Luther wrote in 1521, just four years after he uh, came to this awareness of God's grace. He said these words. If you are a preacher of mercy, do not preach an imaginary mercy, but the true mercy. If the mercy is true, you must therefore bear the truth, not an imaginary sin. God does not save those who are only imaginary sinners. Be a sinner and let your sins be strong, but let your trust in Christ be stronger and rejoice in Christ who is the victor over sin, death, and the world. We will commit sins while we are here, for this life is not a place where justice resides. We, however, says Peter, are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where justice will reign. Luther came to an awareness that I hope we all can come to, that the Christian is not to live a life governed by fear or guilt or ignorance. We are to live a life governed by the Word of God, by the Lordship of Christ, and a life that knows no fear. And the point Luther was making to his friend Melanchthon um, Here it is in very simple form. We are so afraid of our sin. God is not. He has already overcome our sin in Christ. It is finished. The work is done. You are free. This is so contrary to who we are and the way we live that we need to go back to this truth time and time again. You know, we're uh, standing in front of this uh, assembly of 250 children, most beautiful kids you've ever seen. And uh, Elizabeth's dad gets a guitar he comes forward, and we're in a public school, and every kid there is singing along, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It was so simple and so awesome to be able to be there, be a part of what God was doing there. And I think all of us sort of had this prayer, you know, God, can you do this in my heart too? Because I'm so not very spiritual. Well, there's a word for that, I'm sure. Um, Luther had five solas. Sola gracia, sola fide. Sola Christus. Then 
sola scriptura, only the word of God. It's our only authority. And his final one was sola glory dei, for the glory of God alone. Not for our glory, not for our fame, but only for the glory of God. And so there we sit in the truth of the grace of God. You're free. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're blessed. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at your word, at what it does inside of us, what it calls out of us. Um, We marvel at how dreadfully human we are and how utterly needful we are of your grace today and every day. And Lord, may we be governed in our lives by your grace, by the faith that you infused into our hearts, by the Christ that you sent to forgive us and grant us eternal life with you. May we be governed by your word and by a desire for your glory alone. These things we ask in your son's name. Amen.